Welcome to the first episode of a new Knights Voices talk show, What Do You Value? My name is Kenny Maneo, and today I'm joined by Prospect's AP World Religions teacher, John Camardella, or better known at Prospect as Cuba. How are you doing today? Good morning. It's great to be with you. It's, uh, this podcast sounds like a cool thing, so I'm glad to be on. Yeah, thanks for coming in early. More than welcome. Nice early morning. So Cuba, get right to it. What do you value? Man, the, when you first approached me with this question, um, I was thinking about it for a few days. And I think what I value overall is also what I value day to day. Um, and I think the, the biggest thing for me here is both, uh, you know, in a personal way and in a professional way is balance. Um, to try and find time to, to really dive into my academic passions, um, to be able to spend time with my family, to be able to find time for exercise. Right, it's the older we all get. I think it's it's really important as how we utilize our time, and and for me in terms of what I value, I I really do and value value the the silence in the morning. I get up early. Um, I'm usually up a good hour before anybody else in my family, um, and then I I love and I'm about to start. I just got my bike tuned up. I love going on bike rides in the morning around Bussy Woods, and value that time, and then really value the time that I get here at Prospect with all the young people who are on different paths, just like you started. So you recently started the sophomore leadership initiative. Yeah. How, how do you want to inflict what you know and what you've learned on to other people? I think the, the biggest thing I can impress on the sophomores, and especially when I talked to our administration who gave me the support to do it, you know, coming off sabbatical, was really helping sophomores realize what's in their capacity, what they have the ability to do, um, and I just, I love living a life full of questions and full of curiosities. And I'm always wondering like how hard I can go. You know, it might sound silly, but I brought up the, the Bussy Woods biking example. It's like, I will literally start my watch, you know, and then I'll go for 20 miles and I'm seeing if I can hit marks faster than I did on the previous ride. So it's always for me about capacity, wondering how much faster can I go, um, how much more sleep can I get? You know, can I finish this book today so I can start a new book tomorrow? It's it's those little things for me that that really make life worthwhile, and and getting a group of students in a room to talk about those things is is really a worthwhile event for me. So, how does it feel when you reach your capacity? I haven't done it yet, um, and you know I've shared with the sophomores a little bit, but I mean like last year was. I felt like I was right at capacity. Um, you know, I was traveling twice a week, which I know a lot of parents here at Prospect do. For me, it was a new experience. You know, I took 70 flights in 10 months to get back and forth to Boston so that I could study and also be home with my family. Um, and there were a few times I felt like I was reaching my limit. Um, and then I just reframed my mind, rethought about what needed to take place, and I was fine. So I think that's the other thing is I don't want to go too hard where it kills me, but I do love pushing that limit. Yeah, living, living right on the edge, yeah. And I think the, the thing I would say is the, it was part of an exercise years ago um, where a professor at Columbia University asked us to define our life by a phrase and gave us an hour to think about it. And I came back with the idea, I'm on the edge of next, which is I think sort of where even years later, I still identify with that. Is is that even when we do something big or are onto something big, I'm always thinking of how to try and make it better, how to expand it a little bit, how to go a little bit harder, maybe how to help people a little bit more. Um, so I think that idea of like on the edge of next is what I value. Being a head coach for the Prospect Knights for a good amount of time with the yeah. boys' basketball team, 
you're a teacher, you teach many ages, how do you like really put that on your students and make them know like, this is what I've learned, I have all this experience, please take it? I think part of it is you start with listening. And if you ask any of my seniors this year, as I started first day back, you know, I hadn't taught live full classes in two and a half years. And I started our first day of school this year with, hi everybody, I'm John. And it, you saw their body sort of sit up. Um, and then I spent almost the entire period, they just fired questions at me. Because I had to listen to what they were interested in. I had to listen to what they wanted to know. Um, and I've just learned that in my career at Prospect, both as a coach and as a teacher. Like, you have to know what the young people you're leading want to know. Yeah, the sophomore mm -hmm. leadership, first thing you do is you find out how we work. You yeah. ask us, like, you're a sophomore. I've never spoken to you guys. How does this work? Like, what goes through your head? It has to start with that. I think any good relationship in education starts with that. Is like, if I'm talking to Kenny, I need to know what you're about, what you care about, and now that I know you care about this, right? And then we as adults who have a little bit more experience can help support you in your goals, right? Because I think it would be a very different atmosphere you know, on the court, when I used to coach or in the classroom now, if I came and just started dumping information on people, right? I don't, I don't think that's the most viable way to go about this high school experience. Maybe in college and some of the graduate courses I teach, but not really in high school. I think we're at a much different stage of your education and development where we need to listen first, get to know you first, and then once we develop that trust and build that relationship, then I can start sharing some of the real content that I want to get across the students. How important do you think that relationship is? I don't know if there's anything more important than that. Um, you know, I used to teach, uh, for about 10 years I taught with Mr. Andrews. We, I taught the American Studies class with him before religion went, you know, full. And we used to read a book called Into the Wild, and at the end of the book, right at the end of Chris McCandless's life, he writes, one of his last journal entries was, happiness is only real when shared. And I thought it was such a powerful line. And I've thought about it a lot, going all the way back. I think I read that book for the first time 15-something years ago. And it really made me think about that. It's like, it, it doesn't matter what any of us have done if we're not sharing that experience equally with the people that we're working with. And so for me, I don't think there's anything more important than solid relationships. Because assignments aside, grades aside, huge sport victories and awards aside, you know, when you graduate, and hopefully, and I, I see you down the road, and you know, I have now 19 years of alums that I stay in touch with all the time, and it always comes back to relationships. It's always about relationships and, and how we take care of one another. Yeah, I had a class member reach out to you for interviews for a podcast recently about March Madness, mm -hmm. and he was amazed like how you just pulled two guys out mm -hmm. that you had taught in earlier years, and you still had like such a great relationship oh, with yeah. them. He was like. He thought that was amazing. Yeah, we got, you know, Michael Tulip, who's the all-time leading scorer here, played at Illinois. And then we got Bobby Frasco, who got a full ride to uh, Buffalo. And actually played for Bobby Hurley, who was a point guard on Coach K's first two Duke national title teams. And then the assistant on that team, you'll get a kick, was Nate Oates, who's now the head coach at Bama. And so, like, we were able to get them all on the podcast. Because it's the whole thing. It's like, just tell me what you need. And I think most staff members here are like that. Tell us what you need and we'll do everything we can to, to make the experience the best thing possible. Yeah, I've, I've come to know this here with my inclusion in the announcing, podcasting, relationships are so important and I 
I'm starting to meet so many people I never would have met having spent most of my time like kind of just playing sports with all these athletes and now I'm surrounding myself with people do theater they do media they do all these different things and there's just like so much I feel like I've been missing out on that now I'm finally getting like I'm meeting a bunch of people I never would have met if I hadn't done this and I would go even a step further the fact that you figured that out your sophomore year I figured that out like maybe towards the end of college um, and just how much that's going to benefit you and just how much the world opens up. And, and I mean, that. the fact that, you know, a baseball guy is all of a sudden talking about intersecting with like media and theater like that, that what that's going to do for your life is benefit you because you're going to be able to see all the different ways that people, you know, dive into their passions, understand happiness, understand right, what they value. Um, and same for me, it's like studying the world's religions, right? I don't practice all the world's religions, but understanding where people come from um, is just, again, it's opened up the world in a way that I don't think anything else could. Yeah, I mean, I've just learned like so many different viewpoints on the world because yeah. coming from like a family, it's, this is what you think and like yeah. kind of being raised a certain way to believe what you're taught to believe. and. Like my mind has just been opened up to all these different ideas, whether it's in school, outside of school, and sports. Like, I really feel like I look at the world in a different way yeah. after my sophomore year, not because of teacher, like education, <clears throat> just because of like the people I'm surrounding myself by, and I yeah. really think I'm like opening up my horizons on what I'm capable of. They're great. They're yeah. still working too fast, and I think that's the best thing that we can do as a staff here and I tell my seniors this, is that the goal is to become obsolete, right? It's to, to train you with the language and the skills and then get the heck out of the way, right? Step back and let you, you go. And, you know, the fact that you come into the sophomore leadership initiative and I start talking to you, we get to know each other, and then all of a sudden I'm watching you make the call on Ben Schneider's game-winning shot, <laughs> and all of a sudden you're inviting me into your podcast. Look at what you've done in six weeks. I mean, look yeah. at what you've done. I mean, and then... I think that's where the you start to recognize that you haven't even scratched your limit yet, which is exciting for me. Kind of wanting the one of the founding fathers of the AP World Religion <clears throat> course. Just tell me what that process was like. Yeah. So uh, yeah, just small things. So it's dual credit. So it's it's not AP, which I don't know if you know the difference. Um, so AP means you have to take a test in order to get college credit. Um, when you get to dual credit you're in college so all my students are transcripted at Eastern Illinois and so that that for me is like one of the most exciting things so it's it's the first dual credit religion class in the country so there's it's never been done um, it's something we're really proud of and we've expanded it now to five of the six schools in 214 everyone except Hersey hasn't um, and for me, it, it's, it's groundbreaking in a sense that we're finally starting to move the needle a little bit in, in what we think should be offered as an elective in high schools around the country. You know, obviously there's a funding issue because to pay a staff member a full salary to teach an elective requires a school to be fairly financially stable. Uh, so I'm very grateful for that, but I'm, uh, I think we've, we've created something here that helps students really navigate the complex shifting landscape of, of religious pluralism. And I think what, what's most exciting for me and hearing back from alums year after year is that virtually none of them go into religion. None of them go into religious studies. You know, they're going into 
economics, they're going into international business, they're going into law, they're going into medicine, <laughs> they're going, right? But in each of those fields, think about it, whatever field you go into, you're going to have to be able to navigate a diverse workforce, a diverse group of people. And the people that can take our course and learn how to see the world through these different eyes, I think it's just been incredibly beneficial for them. So you've had your fair share of international travels, mm -hmm. like you say, looking through different people's eyes. Like, yeah. first of all, where have you been? Oh, <clears throat> um, well, I've been to 31 different countries. Um, and have each one is its sort of own thing. And I try and go in with zero expectations. Um, I try and disrupt all of my assumptions prior to landing. I don't want any previously held narratives in my head to affect my my, my experience. Um, and I, I would say the lesson I learned really was this past May, um, I spent a month in Israel on a biblical archaeology dig. Uh, and it was one of my professors was, was incredibly powerful where he said, do not speak to what we unearth. Like, right, we're digging. And he goes, let the ground speak to you. He's like, we're here to tell this story. You're not here to put your story on what you find. It was a pretty straightforward idea of like, listen, we're gonna uncover stuff, we're gonna discover stuff, and then let's do our absolute best to humble ourselves and let the people whose lives are in the ground, let's tell their story. Let's not have our stories fixed in our head and then project onto what we find in the ground, what we think it is. And so that's what I've done in almost all the countries that, that I've been to is I try and go and pretty much just meet, be with the people and say, like, tell me who you are. Help me understand who you are, how you understand culture, government, the divine world, etc. And my wife has come with on many trips. My, our kids have been with us on a bunch of trips. And yeah, we're just excited to, to keep traveling. What's some of the base takeaways you've gotten? You said that one from Israel. What else have you learned on your journey? Oh my, oh. How long is the podcast? <laughs> no. Um, I mean that seriously. Each country has such a, a beautiful diversity to it that all the way down to like how people dress, what people eat, how people value exercise, um, where money is, is invested in certain religious communities has just been like there's no limit to the different ways human beings experience life. I think that's the best way to put it. And the line I often share in class is a line that was shared with me is, is that other people aren't failed attempts at being you. And so I think a lot of times, you know, we, we're very sure, as we should be, we're very sure of who we are, how we experience the world, what we think, what we see. And a lot of times we'll project that onto the people and say like, well, they're almost like me. They almost see the world like me, and so they're okay. But if you, if you realize that other people are experiencing it in a wholly different way that 100% works for them, it's a, it's a much more even conversation. So I think that's pretty, pretty much the biggest, biggest way I've thought about it, um, is, is just to find all the beautiful ways that people live that really stretches my brain because I'll look at a lot of different ways and initially be like, I don't think I could ever live like this. And then you spend a little bit more time and even if you can't get to that point of I could live like this, you at least understand why people do. Yeah, it's kind of going back to like pushing yourself to your capacity. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. You told me the other day that you're technically a samurai. <laughs> Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah. Um, 
So I have my my intro level degree, um, and yeah, there's a a professor at believe it or not North Central College right here in Naperville who uh, I attended a few of his lectures and. Uh, he teaches Japanese and Chinese religion, and he put me in touch with uh, a school in Kyoto, Japan, and back in 2015, I flew over there and trained, and it, it was very hard. Um, I wasn't a good student. I could show you some pictures and, you know, that their, their media team took, because I asked them if it would be okay, because I do teach a unit on Bushido and on Shintoism. And they were great, they were very hospitable, but um, the technicalities of balance, and again, it all starts with that. You know, I came in thinking working with the sword would be predominantly arms and hands, and I was immediately put in my place because it's all about feet and it's all about stance. And so, right, I go in thinking like, yeah, I need to have strong arms, strong wrists, and it was all instead about balance. It was all about where you put your feet. And when you see your opponent do this with their feet, you better already have your feet here. So it was, it was far more about the strength in your legs. And that's where I struggled the most is, you know, imagine a defensive basketball stance or an infielder getting down like ready for the pitch and then holding that for minutes, right, in preparation for, for training. So, um, no, it was, it was one of the hardest things I've done and, and also one of the most rewarding. And my kids have gotten a little bit older, so I haven't been able to return. Um, but I hope to very soon. Um, so. What was some more of that training like saying it was the hardest thing you've ever done? Yeah, so like the big thing um, is that you fight back to back. <clears throat> and, and so when you're moving quickly, a lot of times, you know, the, like the literal fit, like I have your back, literally like samurai oftentimes fight back to back, especially in close quarters, is, you know, you're, you're supposed to train. The, the katanas are the only sword that the blade is bended, so it's not straight. And so you're supposed to hold it vertically at 12 o'clock. And a lot of times when I would go to strike, it would come, I would break the 12 o'clock and I would go to like two o'clock. And that all of a sudden is now hitting the sword of the person who's on my back or worse. Like I could go into the back of their head if you think of it that way. Like if I do this, my teammate my, is, could be impaled. <laughs> so like that of, of like being so focused here that you do this instead of this very intense. Um, if you, if if someone's coming towards you and you back up the wrong leg or you fall off balance, it's over. So it's it it's so meticulous, and that's what I I think I learned. As much as I felt good about the training, I I realized that the littlest mistake could have the most massive impact. And I came back from that, and I started looking at how I teach. I started looking at how I coach. Um, I actually, on the back of our warm-up shirts in the year 2015-2016, it was translated out of the Japanese, but it was single mind. It was on the back of our warm-up shirt, just said single mind, because that was the whole thing, is that you have to have a single mind second to second. Because if you start thinking this way, I'm like, you know, who's out in the hall, or what time is it, or did I, right? You, you've lost this. And so I realized, like, you, you have to have this single mind about everything you do because I know putting your foot in the wrong spot it's over tilting your blade past the degree you need to be at it's over um, and I think of it oftentimes in the classroom like if you forget 
this assignment. It might seem small here, but then all of a sudden it could have a bigger impact depending on yeah. this. Or like if I forget to do this for my daughter, or this for my wife, or this for my mother, it might seem as a small thing, but that it could also matriculate into something much bigger. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Cuba. This was awesome. I love this. Thank you. This is great, and I uh, I'll look forward to listening to future episodes. Awesome.